On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, I am joined by the creator and host of the Off the Glass podcast, Zach Ramey, and we talk about Game 5 and 6 of the NBA Finals, some projections and thoughts about particular players moving forward, and even the importance of fatherhood. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be right back with you after this short break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Break in the Game Show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie, the host of the Break in the Game Show. And ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest today. He's one of my personal favorite listens that I have, you know, when I listen to podcasts. And uh, he's just an all around genuine dude. He's a lover of, you know, the game of basketball. What does he say? A fan of no team, but a lover of the game of basketball. Ladies and gentlemen, the host of the Off the Glass podcast. Mr. Zach Ramey. Zach, what's going on, brother? Nothing much. Thanks for having me, Steve. Again, appreciate all your support. Appreciate your platform. One of my favorite listens. We dialogue all the time on Twitter. You definitely know your, your hoops. You know your stuff. I appreciate you and appreciate your perspective. And thanks for having me on your platform tonight. Oh, man, the pleasure is, is all mine. You know, I was talking to you, obviously, before the show. And one of the things, the the reason that I wanted to have you on, not only are you a great mind and I just love the work that you do. I mean, that's a given. But when we were both dissecting, you know, the the finals as we do, because we love the game, I just saw the stuff that you were tweeting. I know the stuff that I was putting out and I was like, man, Zach and I were like the same wavelength. Got to get him on the show because like you said on one of your latest episodes, man, it's that people, people sometimes just get in the habit of saying, oh, OK, the loser of the game. Is just a loser at life, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but just kind of real quick, what are your thoughts on that? I just think it's a, a narrow way of thinking. I think nowadays we're, we're quick to point out how somebody didn't do something right and kind of take joy in that. You know, I saw that across my timeline with even like somebody like Chris Paul. I know we get into him later, but I don't know. I just, just I don't think that's the right an accurate way to look at life. I don't think life exists in a vacuum. I think life is layered. And I think it's the same thing if you look at a basketball game. And that's why I think sports can be one of the best teachers of life because it it mirrors life. So many different dynamics go into a game to determine the outcome of a winner and loser. So to just focus on one side of it, I don't, I don't think that's an accurate way of looking at it. And I think in a lot of ways, you also cheat yourself and limit your perspective and your knowledge and actually being able to learn something, whether it's a basketball game to take away from the game or to learn something or a situation you come across in life. That's just the way I view it. Yeah. And you you spoke on that pretty eloquently in, in your latest episode of the finals. And I want to touch on a deeper part of that episode later on in the show. But before we get into all that, man, I just want to remind everyone that support for breaking the game is brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. They'll hook you up with a 20% discount and free shipping at checkout on any purchase that you make. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter if there's a deal going on or not. They'll hook you up. Enter in promo code BTG. That'll let them know that I sent you. And we're pretty good friends. So, you know, they'll hook you up with a little deal because, you know, you, you, you drop the name. So, all right, Zach. So we'll get into it. Uh, the the previous few episodes for us, we've been breaking down the finals game by game. Nothing too mm-hmm. crazy, just some of the higher moments and some of the major storylines going on within each one of those games. 
we left off at game five. So I want to recap real quick and get your initial thoughts or not your initial thoughts, but rather looking back and reflecting on this game, like how it impacted you as a viewer and a lover of the game. So Milwaukee won 123 to 119. This was at Phoenix. So this was the first road victory of the series. Um, Giannis had 32, nine and six. Holiday had 27, 13 and four. Middleton had 29, seven and five. Booker had a 40 piece, four, uh, four and three. Chris Paul had 21, 11 and two and eight and finished with 20, 10 and one. So Zach, walk me through game five, what you were seeing kind of throughout the game, some of the higher moments, maybe some of the lower moments for some of the key players. You know, Devin Booker, obviously for Phoenix was huge offensively. Uh, One of the things that I think in this game that I'm sure that you'll touch on too, was that Chris Paul gets a, uh, you know, the brunt or the lion's share of the, uh, the blame. But if you go back and actually look at how he played, man, he really wasn't that bad. So kind of walk me through your analysis of game five. Uh, even in game six, and I know we'll touch on that in a minute because I, I rewatched the second half of game of six today. But game five to me, I would say was probably the, the best game of the series. Like it was well played on both sides. Both teams, I think the shot attempts were almost the same. I mean, I still have my notes here just looking at it. I want to say... Buck shot, it was something crazy. Yeah, they both shot 87 shots, and Milwaukee only made two more from the floor. Compared, Yeah, to the like game. the Suns were like 55 from the field, uh, 68 from three. The Bucks were 57 from the field and 50% from the three. Mm-hmm. So number one, that stuck out to me. It was a very well-played game. And I thought, again, once Middleton got it going in the second quarter, along with the, the lift they got from Bobby Portis off the bench and Pat Connington, who kind of found himself again in the yes. playoffs um, after struggling a lot to get his legs underneath him this season. Um, that was really the difference of the game because Giannis was basically consistent from the word go. Even in game one, some might say it was kind of an underwhelming performance stat-wise and looking at him, but he was coming off the hyperextended knee. But mm. overall, I thought as the game went on, he felt he looked good. And then you had Holiday in game five come out right away. Phoenix came out like a house on fire, like I expected. But then I think a credit to Milwaukee, they're such a long team. Yes. And I think their de- their defense kind of picked up. And for Phoenix, they were a lot like Utah. And I said this on one of my episodes, how they were better with the sum of their parts. Milwaukee had the better talent guys, right? Like they have no answer for Giannis. Giannis is the best player in the series. You can argue at this stage in his career probably taking an overall Drew Holiday over Chris Paul. Okay. I mean, it'll be close. That's my opinion. And then I think depending on who has it going, Booker and Middleton was a wash. So Milwaukee had the better better players. So in that game five, Crowder had a great first quarter, but then we didn't see him anymore. And then because Booker has it going, and in the moment, I'm like, man, he shot a lot of shots. But he shot 51%. But then I looked on the flip side, Bridges shot almost 80% from the field and he didn't have enough attempts. So it was always a delicate balance with looking at their team where they needed all those guys from campaign to Mikhail Bridges, to Cam Johnson, to uh, Crowder, to all be in that double figure range. Aiden finished with 20 and 10, but he had some key misses down the stretch mm-hmm. of the game. And that it comes down to possessions like that. So I think, from a skill and talent wise, Milwaukee had the higher upper echelon of talent at the top. 
And I think in that game, it was a delicate balance, just like the game before that they lost in game four when Booker went crazy, but nobody else did anything because he's in the rhythm of getting his and nobody else is getting there. So I thought game five was well played on both sides, but I didn't think it favored what Phoenix needed to do. And that's be more of a of a team, like by how we usually look at it in a stereotypical sense of a team versus trying to go shot for shot for Milwaukee. I don't think that'll benefit them. And the last piece, we saw again the effect of missing Sarge and yes. Torian. Torian Craig was never the same after the knee contusion. He went and became basically a spot up shooter when that's not what he is. He's somebody who can make threes, but what he's an energy slashing guy. And they and they missed all that. So I think that kind of game five kind of showed me that even if Milwaukee lost a close game six, I feel like they could win a game seven, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes plenty of sense. And real quick, my buddy Kenneth from, you know, the off the ball network where I contribute to, he just came Thank by you. and said Thank a couple you. of goats. Uh, I know that I'm definitely joined by one. That's why I wanted to get him on the show it, it, as much as I wanted to. Right. So, um, uh, Zach, your analysis of Game Five pretty much mirrors mine. One thing that I that I looked at when I was breaking down this finals, and it sounds simplistic, but sometimes the game of basketball can just be simple, right? Mm-hmm. When when I was breaking down who I was going to root for or who I was pulling for, or who I thought was going to win, let's say, um, Phoenix has some great talent, right? Devin Booker, he he kind of proved himself a little bit. He had some moments where he, you can still tell that he's young and still trying to figure out how to carry a team, right? Chris Paul, even in his bad games, he's putting up better numbers than most would, right? So Chris Paul, even though I don't think that he was 100% healthy, we can talk about that in a little bit too. Um, they had two ball handlers and shot creators for others. Whereas Milwaukee, you spoke to their length. That I think was an astute observation on your part. I think too, they just have three shot creators, three guys that can create for themselves and others. And we saw that bear out in, in the final. So it really came down to three is greater than two, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I picked Milwaukee in six. And what I'm affectionately going to be referring to now as I know that they're not the first to do it. I'm just going to call it a Milwaukee sweep when a team goes down two <laughs> games to zero and then wins four straight. I'm just going to refer to it as a Milwaukee yeah, sweep. Yeah. So what do you think about the, you know, the three greater than two aspect of the game? No, that that sums it up. I, I think we both are hitting on the same thing. And then also, I think what got lost in all this, because, again, the mainstream media dropped the Kobe Bryant comparison bombshell on Devin Booker, which wasn't mm-hmm. fair to him at all. This was his first playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> like this was his <laughs> first playoffs and he made it to the finals mm-hmm. and he had a broken nose that got broken twice. Not to make excuses, but you have to add all that in when you're being being critical of a player. Yeah, we can critique their game, but you have to kind of look at everything. So, no, it was basically like you said, the sum of their parts. Three is greater than two. And again, it was Devin Booker's first <laughs> playoff trip i mean deandre aiden as well he's in mm-hmm. year two no what year three, three. now was year three, three. Yes, yeah sir. yeah he's in year three i'm gonna say technically year two because he missed most of last year with the suspension mm-hmm. he missed the first 25 games so all this was a, a learning experience uh, across the board um but again when you're trying to win championships all that kind of goes out the window but for us breaking the game down all that kind of stuff matters absolutely and, and real quick just to further break down game five phoenix was plus 18 from deep but Milwaukee made one more three than they did. So sometimes it's not efficiency, but, you know, just a number of times that the ball goes in the hoop, right? Phoenix yep. was 10 from 11 from the line. Milwaukee was 9 of 17. Phoenix was plus four in blocks, plus two in steals. 
They had they were minus three in turnovers or committed three less, let's say, and had six more points in the paint where Milwaukee was plus two on the boards, plus three in assists, and had three fewer fouls. So almost split down the middle when it comes to what I affectionately call winning stats, you know, things that you look for in the box mm-hmm. score that you just say, mm-hmm. okay, the, the team that won, usually they shoot better, usually they have the hustle stats, right? It was relatively split, and that's why we had the close game. So yep. we'll, we'll transition now, Zach, into game six. Um, it was obviously held in Milwaukee, and that was just the other day. Um, Milwaukee won that game 105 to 98. Giannis went in one of the best, just outright performances. Oh, yeah, yeah, just one of the most outright dominant performances we've I ever seen. I don't even want to rank it, Steven, to be honest with you. I'm gonna take some time to kind of reflect, but in the moment, I was like, this is special. Mm. Like, even before he got the 50, just watching his energy from the word go, I was like, no, nah, this is. I think this is he's going to do this something special tonight, and it bared out that that way. Yeah, and what what do people sometimes say, Zach? Whenever they're given their their post game, you know, commentary on how they played, you know, most people say, "Oh, I just took what the defense gave me. I let the game come to me." Giannis basically was like, "No, I'm going to go out and take this game. This is this game is mine for the taking." What did you think? No, I agree, and. You know, I'm such a basketball nerd as a child. It takes me back to certain moments. And I was, Jordan is my favorite player. And not because of the the, the stuff that we see, but just mm-hmm. the behind the scenes stuff. And I, I said this on my pod today. His performance reminded me of Jordan in 92 when they went up against a great unexpected Knicks team. They would pick to sweep the Knicks that series. They ended up going seven. And then I think it's Michael Jordan airtime, the video, the VHS. He asked his dad, he said that the New York series was like a fatherly advice series. And he says, mm-hmm. I asked my dad, what should I do? Should I, should, should I go out, set the table for them? Or he's like, no, you go out and you lead. If they don't, if they don't follow, they don't follow, but you got to take the lead. And I felt like that's what Giannis was doing from the word go. It was almost because remember up until those games, he had to come out the game early because he yep. had to get his second win. But it was like, whatever supernatural strength you, he had <laughs> from the, I mean, he was literally sprinting from offense to defense to get rundown blocks, to get rebounds. He was just so forceful. It was like watching a power puncher in a boxing match just come out from the word go and throw haymakers for 12 rounds. And yeah. Giannis was just so much more physical and aggressive than them. And I really believe it affected DeAndre Aiden because it was the first time I saw DeAndre Aiden play kind of soft around the basket. Mm-hmm. Kind of looked like the DeAndre Aiden that we were all kind of nervous coming out of Arizona where they was co- worried about what his motor and his lack of aggression. And for the first time, I was like, wow, this, this is something I haven't seen. And that's why my comp from Giannis has always been the whole time Moses Malone because that's what Moses Malone did. You know, for his era, he was seen as not being skilled, whereas Giannis for this era is seen as not being skilled. But the aggression and just coming at you and I'm not you're not going to deny it was on full display last night in the finish with 50 points, 14 rebounds and five blocks. Off the top of my head, that's it's got to be a top five, top 10 finals performance of all time. It it has to be just even from the raw data. I hadn't seen. That kind, I haven't seen, it was like a throwback game far as effort for the whole game. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking, you know, going on, but, you know, it was it was incredible, Steve. Steve, it was incredible. Incredible. No, and I've 
just listening to you talk about it, just so many memories of the game just rushing back to me. And I really appreciate the comparison that you give to, you know, to the great Moses Malone, because this I, I speak often about players who are just often forgotten, you know, players like Kareem, you know, who when people say who's the best ever and they say, you know, LeBron, rightfully so, they'll say Michael Jordan, rightfully so. And then they go to players like Kobe, who God rest his soul, obviously in that conversation, too. But my goodness, we forget about Kareem. And then also too, a top 15 player of all time in my book, Moses Malone. What a what a great comparison to Giannis. And, you know, you speak to his ferocity and, you know, just his will to win. And that bore out into a 50 point game, you know, 14 rebounds, like you said, two assists and then five blocks. Phenomenal. Chris Middleton didn't have, you know, and, and this kind of will hover over him if it or it feels like it has his whole career where he doesn't really give you the gaudy stats or the numbers, but my goodness, you know, 17 points, every single one of those required to win this game, five boards and assists. Uh, my guy, Bobby Portis from the, you know, state of Arkansas, uh-huh. pick Tui, yep. you know, I yep. was I was going on him all night long, but, you know, 16 points, three rebounds, one technical for high stepping. I think he's got a great <laughs> career as a wrestler when he's done with basketball. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then Drew Holiday with, a, you know, almost Draymond Green-esque, almost yep. triple double you know 12 points 11 assists nine rebounds every single one of those stats crucial and to winning four steals and four steals yes sir four steals yep and one probably one of the best steals in finals history you know the game before right so he's just turning he's established himself as one of the premier point of attack defenders in the nba and let that me ask you a question because i'm curious to see what you what you think i i yes, said sir. on my pod i felt like Drew Holiday's talent, when you combine his offensive bag, because what he's a four-level scorer, post, mm-hmm. mid-range, three, and shoot from distance, and his defensive game, I believe he's like a top five talent in his in the league. But I don't think he has top five or top ten mentality all the time. Am I crazy? Because I think his talent, when you really look at it, I don't think there's too many players that's better than Drew Holiday when you look at his talent. I think each one of those um, talents that you're speaking on, Zach, are obviously vital. I mean, they don't win a ring without him. You know, what really I think separates other players who are in that top five to ten range, in my in my humble opinion, he doesn't have the break you down off the dribble ability. You know what okay. I mean? Like he doesn't have he doesn't have that isolation. Give me the ball. I'm going to take the guy off the bounce and finish. He has so as like a tertiary or secondary playmaker. He's probably one of the best in the NBA along and coupled with that defense. But to me, he is he is, you know, just a, a dribble package away from being in that in that realm, That's in my fair. opinion. That's fair. That's fair. No, because what made me think about it was like he was that in the Atlanta series in the one mm-hmm. game when they didn't have Giannis. Yeah. Like, and then the next game is like Giannis comes back in game one and he's deferring to Giannis. It's like, no, like we <laughs> No, your talent doesn't say defer, Drew. We need you to keep, you know, keep doing this. But no, I just wanted to ask you that real quick because that was just sounding kind of like an observation I had this year. I was like, man, Drew is really, really good. Like, I don't think people really understand how good he really is. And for the first time throughout his career, like he's been able to stay healthy consistently, too. You mm-hmm. know, I think that has been another issue throughout his career was, you know, not being able to stay healthy. Yeah, 100 percent. And we're seeing him in a role in a position where he's never really been in before. He's never really played next to two players that are as equally or better or more talented, I should say, 
than him. So we're seeing him operate in a, in a position that we've never seen before. And it's been fun to see because you get to see him now not take so much of the offensive load on his shoulders. And that gives him that much more energy on the defensive mm-hmm. end to pick up mm-hmm. a Chris Paul the entire length of the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And people were complaining about his offense a little bit. I was even a little bit critical. I did think they needed him to do it. And I was doing it because I knew he was capable. Mm-hmm. But I, as somebody from experience that played and was a point guard, and I was a defensive type of point guard. So usually I'm guarding the best guard or the, even the best ball handler to do that the whole game. And when I played overseas, I used to have to score too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine doing that for 48 minutes in an NBA Finals game. And they're playing drop coverage where it puts a lot of pressure on the guard to fight over screens constantly or go underneath because they're not blitzing every time. They're not switching. It's just a little different ball game. And I played at the tail end of, no, at the beginning of when pick and roll basketball was really coming into vogue. And I couldn't imagine playing a game where I would have to fight over that many picks the whole game. And then they're expecting me to get 20 points on the other end as well. I think that's why there's a short list of guys in the history of the NBA that were incredible two-way players because it's extremely hard to do. And the easier thing to do for a lot of guys is what? Just focus on scoring than playing defense. Yeah, and there are areas in in his games, act to where you can get him the ball in a sweet spot and he can look phenomenal on the offensive end. And, yeah. and what I think Phoenix was trying to get him to do is you speak to that drop coverage when, when Drew had the ball. I feel like they were giving him that same style of defense to where they were daring him to make a decision off the pass. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he's learning, like I said, he's learning a new spot and setting other people up instead of just being a, a downhill attacking the basket, you know, playmaker, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I agree. I agree. All right. So rolling on here with our game six recap, we just focused in on, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, Bobby Portis had a great game. Um, Phoenix Suns, again, we speak to how much people were dogging Chris Paul, go back and look at the stats. It may not have felt this way watching them play just because they were playing in Milwaukee and that, that atmosphere. I got goosebumps just watching the game, Zach. Like yeah. it, just, it felt <laughs> yeah. like something big was about to happen, you know, from before the even before the tip off even occurred. But Chris Paul, 26, five and two, you know, led the team in scoring. You know, he was just as effective passing the ball, got you a couple rebounds and his defense wasn't terrible either. You know, and you consider too. You you pointed to this earlier, Zach. Is that Milwaukee's huge? You know, their shortest players: Drew Holiday, six four. Chris Paul's (laughs) out there, maybe, maybe six Six, foot. Yeah, that's being very generous. I was that's being very generous. Realistically, probably somewhere in that five nine to five ten range. Yep. yep, Right. So he's going up against literal giants. Put up twenty six points. Devin Booker, um, again, nineteen points really isn't anything that a lot of people in the NBA would um, shy away from trying to go get right. 19 points for a lot of NBA players is a good thing. But when we see consecutive 40 point games, we see how effective he's been throughout the entirety of the playoffs. You Mm -hmm. mentioned the Kobe Mm -hmm. Bryant comparisons, 19 points, not what anyone was expecting, nor was it enough to put Phoenix over the hump in game six. Crowder gave you 15 points and 13 rebounds, a great hustle player, everything that Phoenix wanted from him when they signed him away in free agency. And then our guy, Aiton, 12.6 rebounds, one assist. When you look at what Phoenix did or did not do, Zach, what was the glaring mistake that Phoenix committed in this game? They never, never was able to get going. I think overall, both teams, I don't think it was a well-played game. 
I think outside of Giannis, Middleton hitting some shots and, you know, Drew doing some other things, I don't think overall it was a well-played game. And I'm looking now because I wanted to be exact because I remembered it in the moment. Outside of the first quarter, Chris Paul played well. Like the mm-hmm. second quarter and even in the fourth quarter, I'm looking at it now, he had nine points in the fourth quarter and he was three for four. And he was three for four from the free throw line. And then if you look at the second quarter, he had 10 points. He was five for seven. Now he struggles in the first, but if you look at the whole game, Booker's eight for 22. Crowder's four for 11. Bridges is three for seven. Mm-hmm. Aiden was four for 12. Cameron Johnson was a no-show. He was one for five. So it comes back to what I said earlier with game five. Phoenix has always been the sum of what? Their parts as a team. And I think, again, you could tell early on for both teams, it was the nerves. It was the the stress of a, for Phoenix having to force a game seven. It was the stress from Milwaukee trying to close them out and win a championship. And I just think for some guys, I don't think they ever really got settled in and got a rhythm. And Giannis being the great player that he is, and usually this is what a great player does, he imposed his will so much on that game that he didn't allow them. He would not take his foot off the pedal because even in you brought up the big steal that Drew Holiday had in game five. If you look at that mm-hmm. play, Tucker plays solid defense to keep his feet in front of him. But when you look yep. at him, Giannis is right there walling Brooker off. Lopez is kind of behind. Drew smartly digs down and gets the steal. But when you look at them on defense, it's the same thing. That's why I said they're a very long team. So if your best play. Oh, I think I lost you, Zach. I think you muted. Playing that hard and is setting the tone like that. Phoenix just never got comfortable and the shooting percentages bear that out. They just never got comfortable. And again, you're not going to win with Booker going eight for 22 and the other guys going one for five. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, Booker, definitely, you want to see more out of him. But again, you know, something that I really, you know, respect and admire about you is a shared opinion that I have, too, is that, you know, he's, what, 25 years old. Not only is this his first finals ever, you pointed out to this earlier, it's his first time in the playoffs, and he's he did a pretty, pretty good job, you know. And Monty Williams, I think, one thing that I think got overlooked during this game was the adjustments where Mikkel Bridges basically drew holiday drew holiday where he picked him up most of the court and 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 guarded drew holiday bringing the ball at the floor and i think that that stunted milwaukee's offense had had monty made that adjustment and put mikhail bridges on drew holiday to pick him up you know three quarters of the court you know how do you think um, i hear you sometimes technical difficulties happen so i'm going to continue on here with some further analysis that i have from the game so right now, you know, Milwaukee, they were 37 of 82 from the floor. Phoenix was 38 of 86. Both teams um, made six three-pointers in the game, which was a very low statistic. Uh, most of the time in the finals, we haven't seen teams only made six three-pointers for one team, let alone both. Uh, Phoenix was 16 of 19 from the line. Milwaukee was 25 of 29. Milwaukee was plus 16s and re- 16 in rebounds. Six in assists, plus two in blocks, plus six in points of the paint, and they were four. They committed four fewer fouls than the other team. Phoenix was plus one in steals, and they committed fewer turnovers. But really, it was the aggressiveness of you know Milwaukee that kind of bore out and allowed them to take the lead. And we saw that you know at the free throw line. So rejoined by Zach Ramey. Now technical difficulties are squashed. Now 
We're going to go ahead and get his insight now on just the overall aggressiveness of Milwaukee compared to Phoenix in that game. Zach, what did you think of just how hard Milwaukee played compared to Phoenix? No, I, I thought they played much, much harder. I, you know what? I'm not going to say like that. I think both teams played hard. I didn't feel like the effort was there, was not lacking on both sides. I just think, again, Giannis's imprint was all over this game. And sometimes that's that's the difference. It just really mm-hmm. is. And then I think Phoenix overall, their role players' games didn't always travel with them on the road. Like we saw Mikael Bridges struggle in game three and four, but Cam Johnson played well, right? And then yep. last night we saw Mikael play okay with his opportunities, but then Cam Johnson struggled. So, and Aiden struggled for the really the first time all playoffs because the, if, let's give Aiden his flowers. I thought he was the key to every series they played in because he's literally their only uh, big guy, their only inside threat. So I thought he had a lot on his shoulders as far as foul trouble, still being able to produce offensively. So with that being said, I don't think they necessarily played harder. I just think Giannis force was just so much. And we said this during the game, it reminded me of Dwayne Wade when he made his first mm-hmm. championship run. And people were complaining how Dwayne got so many fouls and even Giannis was getting fouls. And I was just trying to say, sometimes when a player is that aggressive, you're putting the onus on the ref to have to make a call because you're being so aggressive. And it, they're not going to call every foul, but if you're going to be that consistent, be aggressive, nine times out of 10, and you're a superstar, you're going to get the call. So I think it was really just about Giannis having his imprint all over this game. That's what I think it came down to. Yeah, and I really like that. And Zach, I want to go back, call back to the question I was leading into before yeah. the difficulties there. Uh, Mikael Bridges in, in game six, I thought that this was a heck of an adjustment. I think that at the time when I saw it, I thought it could have been the adjustment of the series had mm-hmm. Phoenix won this game. Mikael Bridges picking up Drew Holiday three quarters of the court up and, and following him up, I really felt like that put a lot of pressure on Drew. And that's why his numbers didn't really bear out the way that we had saw the game prior to is because, you know, Monty went with Mikael Bridges picking up Drew Holiday most of the court and forcing him into some difficult looks, passes, you know, off the jump, cross court passes, bad shots at times. What did you think of that adjustment? Do you think that that's something that Phoenix should have done prior to? Wow. I'm going to be totally honest. I didn't even notice that. And I'm while you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking and back, no, you're a hundred percent right. So maybe that might explain why Bridges shooting wasn't always where it was. Cause now he was in the drew holiday spot of picking up one of their best offensive players and playing hard defense. That's a great observation for, you know, I didn't even notice that Steven, I really didn't, but now it makes sense because again, you put another guy who's longer than holiday, who's mm-hmm. taller, who's a three and D guy in his own right coming up. So, no, I didn't even notice that. That's a great observation. Kind of make me want to go back. What game did they start doing this? I kind of want to go back it was, now. It was last night. It was it was, that was game the first six. time. That was the wow. first time. Yeah. OK. They, okay. They, I think they did it in somewhere in the third quarter. I noticed that Monty Williams had assigned Mikel Bridges. And as soon as I saw that and I saw the first couple possessions where Drew Holiday was just making mistakes and, you know, forced in the tough looks, I tweeted out. I said, this might be the adjustment of the series if Phoenix wins. Wow. I missed that. See, that's why, again, folks, you got to you got to have like minded individuals and talk to different people because everybody sees everything. That's why I don't even like when people 
I'm humbled by the comment, call me an expert, but that don't mean I see everything. No, I missed that adjustment, Steven. That that makes sense now that I'm thinking about in the moment because I know I'm thinking about some of the plays that you're talking about mm -hmm. right now, and I just didn't even didn't even accredit it to that. I just thought, well, Drew might be a little bit tired. He's wearing down, but no, that that definitely has something to do with it as well. I would think so. Right on. Well, and I appreciate the kind words and, you know, surrounding myself, you said with like-minded individuals, not only is it nice because you get to, you know, kind of share or, you know, adjust your perspective, but it challenges you to want to look at the game more intently, oh, for sure. you know, for and sure. that's something that I, that I get from you. So, you know, it, it's all love. It's all centrifugal force, you know, of just, you know, love, friendship, all that, man. It's all but for love. me too, Steven, I always say, I always come back to this because I'm a little bit older than you. Mm. But it's life. Yeah. Like I'm 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 in this era now. I'm always confused on how we walk around with this device, mm -hmm. but people just don't know things anymore. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like you're not asking this question. And maybe I'm just naturally, you know, like that. But I just think that's life, man. You should be surrounding yourself with as many people who know more things than you or even close to you so you can learn different things. So that's why I always like to speak about different things in my podcast. I don't think that's just basketball that we happen to cover. I just believe that's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Monty Williams did a great job speaking of that after the game. And I love oh, Monty Williams. Class I, could, act. I could gush on and on. I could do a whole podcast on Monty Williams. And I think that somebody should because, I mean, one of the best, just like you just said, Zach, he's a class act. I love his philosophy. I love, you know, his um, relationship that he established with his players and, he just he's a coach that you would just run through a brick wall for. Right. Yeah. And I think Monty was the antithesis of to me this year and even going into next season. Being the, the season, the postseason of the black coach and. You know, all we always ask for is black people is just equal opportunity. That doesn't mean that we're going to be successful, but that means we should be able to fail right as well. Like, so yeah. if we don't fail then we should get another shot at it if we got good credibility and all that kind of stuff. But I also thought this was the, the year of Taiwan Lu making great adjustments, Nate McMillan making great adjustments, and it's showing that when you give them talented rosters as well, not just rebuilding rosters, not just yes. mid-level rosters, that yes, there's some guys, some black coaches that can coach as well. And I thought, shout out to Mon Monty Williams and shows you how life comes full circle to start off with Chris Paul. Yes, they go on this long journey. I mean, to the point he even lost his his first wife. Mm -hmm. on, I mean, on that journey to now coaching each other. I mean, coaching him and him playing for him, vice versa, in their first finals. I mean, you just can't even write that kind of stuff in a movie. So I thought for me overall, one of the other themes that I watched was just like, wow, how those guys were able, given the opportunity that to show like, hey, we can coach as well at this level and especially Tyron Lou, who was somebody that was seen as just LeBron's coach and not yeah. a championship level coach. And I always been consistent with this saying, and I say it like this for a reason, you don't win championships with bombs. So if it's okay for Phil Jackson to have Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Kobe Bryant, Brian and Shaq, then why can't Tyron Lou have LeBron James? You know, it's okay for Pat Riley to have magic Johnson, mm. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but why wasn't it okay? Because on the flip side, all you hear about is Larry Bird. You don't really hear about Casey Jones, right? Yep. So it's just interesting how that dynamic works. So I, I just wanted to point that out here on your on your platform that I thought that was one of the other takeaways for me from not only this this finals, but the entire playoffs. 
Absolutely. And it shies away from those little subtle differences that mainstream media will typically establish between, you know, a white coach and a black coach, you know, a white coach, they'd say, oh, they're a student in the game. They they're great at adjustments and, you know, X's and O's, whereas typically the narrative for, you know, a black coach is that, oh, well, they, they establish great relationships. You know, they're yeah. a former player. It's mm-hmm. it's almost as if like one is smart and one is, you know, familiar with the players in the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a divide, and obviously that couldn't be further from the truth, as exactly. as displayed by you know Monty Williams and the other coaches that you just mentioned, Zach. Um, before we move on to the next segment, you know, Break the Game is sponsored by Manscaped, but I also contribute for the Off the Ball Network, which is sponsored by my bookie. My bookie matches up mm. to fifty percent of your first deposit and up to one thousand dollars. That's the largest bonus in the industry. They have the highest credit card acceptance rates. They're fast. They have 48-hour payout processing. Just use promo code off the ball and let's win big together. Promo code for my bookie is off the ball. Part of the off the ball network family. Sounds like a good deal to me. Oh, dude, let's let's make some money. You could have, <laughs> if you listen to me, I said bucks and six. You know, I could have could have won you a little bit of money. But anyway, we'll <laughs> we'll move forward with that and we'll look forward now to. What I think is one of the more interesting parts of the finals process, Zach, you know, these teams, they they work and prepare and, you know, they manage and they build relationships and so forth. Then it all comes to a crescendo to the finals. You know, the team that wins is the is the best thing ever. The team that loses, you know, is is a disappointment, so to speak, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. as as to the narratives. You know, obviously, I don't feel that way. Um, but now now that it's all over, the draft is upon us. But we're going to look forward and we're going to discuss. I have four players, and I don't think that anyone's going to be surprised as to the four that we're going to speak about. Um, we'll start with the um, the unfortunate team, you know, Chris Paul. I want to talk about him. He's been dissected over this series. Zach, I see you rubbing your hands. I know you're ready to go in on yeah, this. I'm yeah. ready to listen to you, brother. But, you know, I want to just ask, you know, was he tired? Was he hurt? Was the moment too big? And how do you think this impacts his legacy, if at all, moving forward? Well, let's get this out the way. I don't think it impacts his legacy at all, right? And um, appreciate that, Jeff. Um, I did a simple math equation. I was a history major, so I'm not a math guy. Last time I checked, there's 30 teams in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Two teams make the finals. Mm-hmm. So that's not even a full percentage. I, I think I, if I remember my calculation, it was like 0.067. You know, one I'll, team I'll is going to be. One team is going to be the champion. I think, Steve, it was even lower than that. That was 0.033. Like, three, three. So I say that to, to all that to say this. It is hard to win a championship mm-hmm. at any level. I was talking to my mom earlier. I said, really, the only level where one guy can, like, lead a team to a championship is mainly your high school level. And then I said, that can be debated depending on what level of high school you're playing with, where you live at. The because state, absolutely. The state, because being here in Illinois, I've only seen it where off the top of my head recently, two guys that were individually brilliant led their team to a championship. The rest of it was all like teams. And that was John Shire. He went to Glenbrook North, went to Duke. He's now the new Duke head coach. And mm-hmm. that, of course, was Derrick Rose, who went to Simeon. Other mm-hmm. than that, those teams were all like great teams. So to hold everybody to this championship or bust standard, I think the whole time this has been out of hand. I think it's absurd. I think it's dumb. For me, when I use rings to debate, is I'm debating other great players that have rings, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Other than that, we just got to look at the career on the merit of what it is. And if we're 
being honest, Chris Paul might have had a couple moments in the playoffs here and there where he didn't play well. But those moments shouldn't overshadow his body of work where all he did was transform franchises into winning franchises. Tyson Chandler was on his way out the league. We Mm -hmm. forget this. He turned Tyson Chandler into a running rim lob catching block shock big, which if we reverse that, those are common now. Yep. That role really didn't exist yet. We weren't really playing all this pick and roll basketball. New Orleans, Chris Paul was kind of the first team, those early Orlando teams with Dwight Howard, where they kind of started playing that way. Steve Nash, of course, yep, Phoenix. With, mm-hmm. with, with Phoenix. But we were still throwing the ball on the block. This is still Chris Webber. This is still Tim Duncan. This is still Kevin Garnett and, and those guys. So I, I think for him to lead Aaron, go to the Clippers, who they were the Clippers. Yeah, I think, laughing song. I, I, I mean, I don't think people remember this because we so went always with the recency bias. And then... We saw the, the the magic trick he pulled off in Oklahoma City. No, I didn't yep. expect that. Nobody mm-hmm. saw that coming. And then this year, he took them to the finals. He took them to the finals. So to, to, to grade him on the curve of championship or bust is absurd. Do I think the moment was too big for him last night? No, I think early on, everybody had nerves. But I don't think yes. he choked. But I also think, and I said this in game after game five in my pod, that he looked fatigued. He was 30, he's 36. Yep. With a shoulder, with some ligament stuff in his wrist. I mean, but everybody had injuries. And I think towards the end, it shows you mentally how strong he was. And like how they say it was like a gut check performance. Cause like we said, he finished with 26 last night. He played well mm-hmm. with all of that going on. And it also speaks to how hard it is for a small guard yes. to be the best player on their team and win championships. That's why for me, after I heard the interview that Rashad Phillips did with Isaiah Thomas, I put Isaiah as my best point guard ever. I put mm, him over magic okay. because he's the only guy and I've seen Isaiah in person. I mean, he's from Chicago. He's five eleven. He's the only player in that era to not play with another top 50 greatest player and win multiple championships. And if you want to play the what-if game that people want to play, they could have beat the Lakers the year he sprained his ankle. Yep. The year Jordan went in went in 91, I learned this in the interview, he's playing with a fused wrist. So he okay. couldn't even shoot anymore. And if you go look at the stats, his shooting percentage was different from 90 to 91. So he's the only one. And he did that twice, back-to-back championships. He's the only one. Mm-hmm. Other than that, nobody else at that size has ever done it because the average height in the NBA is like six, 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 seven. It's still a big man's game. So when you put all that into a dish and a recipe, you come out with, to me, proper perspective of how we should view Chris Paul's career as one of the greatest point guards of all time. He's the best point guard of his era, of this generation, and he's a winner. And he's somebody that should be celebrated. He's somebody that should be admired. And he's somebody that when people ask me about their sons, what should they be watching? Always send them the Chris Paul tapes on YouTube. Yes. Always send them. Always. Yeah. Zeke was incredible. Always send them. So that that's my interpretation of, of Chris Paul. The championship or bus argument. We need to stop this as a as an argument because it's absurd. It's an absurd argument because it's extremely hard. And I'll close with this, Steve. I played organized ball for almost 25 years of my of my life. You know how many championships I've won? How many? Zero. Mm. I'm not going to even count the conference tournament championship my junior year 
uh, at my school because we didn't go on and win the national championship. So I'm not going to even count that. Zero. That's mm. how hard it is to win a championship. And there's folks that get into the NBA who win a ring, and that's the first time that they ever even get one. And you think, and, and if you just think linearly, you just think that, okay, the, the best players in high school go to college. The best players in nope. college go to the pros. And then yep. the best players in the pros win rings. It doesn't work that way. There's peaks and valleys. There's different multiple paths. Some dudes go to the now the G League now. So people go overseas. And there's a number of leagues that people don't even know about to where it's just as difficult there to win as it is at a collegiate level or other yep. pro organizations. And then even in college, like we said, in states, you know, you, you got your, your Californias and your, your New Yorks and others, Texas, where... If you win a ring there, that's almost the equivalent of winning one in, you know, the NCAA tournament, you know? Yeah, and that's why being from Chicago, more guys are revered for their high school career mm -hmm. than even what they did in the pros. Like, there's guys that have, like a Will Bynum, he's revered here in Chicago because he was so dominant as a high school player. There's a guy going way back being older. He played at LSU, Jamie Brandon. He's revered in Chicago, but he didn't make it to the pros. He hurt his knee. Like a Marcus Liberty, even going further back, there's guys I can name that are still revered in Chicago basketball because of their high school career. And their college career might have been okay, or they might have made it to the NBA, or they may not have made it to the NBA, but because they were so good in high school, they are still revered and still respected. That's just what it is. All right. Well, Zach here, I'm looking at the time and I definitely mm -hmm. want to continue this conversation for the podcast, but I have, I have some time here for the dash radio show, which everyone's yes, listening yep. to right now on the nothing but that channel here on dash radio. You shared an interesting, um, I don't want to even call it a perspective. It's a reality. Um, yeah. on, on your latest show, you spoke to the importance of fathers. I myself, I have four beautiful kids. I love the role of being a dad and a husband. I take it very, very seriously. My family's actually out of town for a week and a half. So you know, I miss them dearly. Um, it's quiet in the house and I hate quiet. But yeah. um, you spoke to the importance of, you know, the, the black father. And I would just want to honor you with uh, giving you time here to share that here on the airwaves on on nothing but net. I appreciate that, Stephen. Um, I was wasn't even going to talk about that. I was just going to recap the game. Mm -hmm. And um, I was talking to my wife about the game and she got going talking about Giannis and how he is as a man and how he conducts himself. because. Nowadays, in my humble opinion, this type of man, especially the black man, is not always embraced like it should be. Um, and that doesn't mean, like I said, I wasn't trying to begrudge single black women mm -hmm. or mothers. But I was telling my wife from here on out, I want to tell more of my perspective because the black perspective is not the same. All of us didn't come from poverty. All of us didn't, you know didn't wasn't on welfare and all that like no I had my dad and then I had my grandfather these were strong men these were men who were role models in the community pillars in the community that saved a lot of black men's lives and I thought about Giannis and his dad who unexpectedly I believe it was a heart attack passed away I think going into the season he wins mm -hmm. his first MVP and seeing how close he is with his brothers and how he doesn't really want to conform to society. He wants to do everything his own way. He said he's kind of stubborn, you know, that kind of used to say man's man throwback. And I wanted to just kind of touch on that because in our community, gun violence is just killing our community. And as somebody that worked in the inner city of Chicago as a police officer, the majority of these homes were single parent homes and just 
led by women and just the missing of the black father and how I wanted to highlight how many great athletes their father was the one that put them on the road to success. And I used Steph Curry, father, Russell Westbrook, father, John Morant, father, Trey Young, father, Kobe Bryant, his father, yes. Michael Jordan, his father. Then I took it a step further and included the ladies, Candace Parker, Tamika Catchings, and her sister that played. I didn't even think about them, the Aguma case sisters in yep. the WNBA. And then I even said in tennis, uh, Naomi Osaka, uh, Coco Golf, and then of course Serena, Serena and Venus Williams, which is like the the ultimate story. Father didn't play tennis. They're in Compton. He's reading books, and she's arguably Serena, not the greatest tennis player, female tennis, arguably one of the greatest athletes mm. of all time. So, I just think, in my opinion, my experience, um, as a black man is is not the one that's always talked about um, and not trying to make it a political show because this is your platform, but I just think it was something that needed to be said. And I suggest people go talk, uh, listen to the podcast. I even mentioned Deshaun Jackson, yep. the wide receiver and the role his dad played um, in his life. And I just felt like it was something that needed to be highlighted again, not to begrudge Gloria James, LeBron's mother or Kevin Durant's mother, because they raised fantastic young men, but it's just something to be said about a role that a father still plays and has value in the home, regardless how certain people and certain groups want to remove that. And it doesn't affect every group the same, but it definitely is killing our community right now because most of these young men, most of these teenage boys, these juveniles that are creating, committing these horrendous crimes Mm -hmm. They come from fatherless homes. It was like, a, I remember a real quick story. When I arrested a young man, I had to bring him back home. Because your, your prior law enforcement. Prior right? law enforcement. Because mm -hmm. his mom is at work trying to support him and his sister. And the dad is nowhere to be found. So I arrest him for a robbery, then have to bring him home. Now, it shows you how life works. Because I talked to him all the way back to his house. And he ended up staying out of trouble. So... That was one child I was able to reach, mm. but he's one of how many? The most of them don't. So I just felt like I love when I can use sport again to talk about life because as much as we love basketball, there's so much more important, more important things, big picture that's going on. And that was definitely one. And I wanted to use that to kind of talk about that, give my father his respect and give my grandfather his, his flowers, as, I, as we like to say. And address that topic, man. So I'm glad it was it's been well received. You know, yeah. I'm glad people enjoyed it. And um, I'm glad I was led to do it. And I appreciate you offering your platform as a as a moment for me to kind of share some light on my podcast. Absolutely. And, you know, just obviously, you know, if you're if you're not watching us live, you know, you're just listening to us. You know, it's, it's no secret, Zach, you and I, we don't look the same. You know, you're you're and a little bit okay. older than me. Yep. I, and a hundred percent, that's okay. I come, you come from inner city of Chicago. Yes. So yep. I come from very rural Arkansas. You know, I yep. graduated with like 30 people in my class. I, how many people did you graduate with Zach? Uh, close to 700, I think. Yeah, that's insane. I had <laughs> nowhere near. The school near... <laughs> is even bigger now that I went to. I'll send you some pictures of my high school. It looks like a college campus. You, oh you... man. But I went to junior college in Norfolk, Nebraska. So I had teammates that was farmers. And I said this real quick. Yeah. 
you'll be surprised how much we have in common when you talk in black and white, when we come from some of these areas, how besides the violence, how rural America is so much like the inner city, how hard it is, the, the, the scarcity of jobs sometimes. Yep. It's almost the same thing, but they keep us divided along racial lines because the powers that be, in my humble opinion, realize that if we ever got on the same page and start looking at this more of a class argument and not a race argument, it, it'll, be, it'll be unbelievable what we can accomplish as, as a country. Because I, once I met those guys from Nebraska, the, a lot of the experiences are still the same. Like I said, minus the violence and some of the other things I had to go through in my life. But far as just everyday life and school, healthcare, jobs, rural, rural areas, a lot of ways, no different than, than the inner city. Just being yeah. honest with you. And I found that out. I went to the, well, I, my name was on the attendance list at uh, the University of Central Arkansas. And I didn't really <laughs> go that much. This is why now I'm in the Navy. You know, mm -hmm. one of the best, worst decisions I've ever made in my life was failing out of college because now I have everything that I have, you know, and glory to God for all of that. But, you know, it's one of the things that I learned, man, going to, you know, predominantly black school, you know, and uh, it's just one of those things, like like you said, you know, it's there's so many life similarities, no, no matter where you come from. And the way that you spoke on, you know, just the importance of fathers, I wanted to give you this platform, man, just to do that, because. You know, I have I four kids that. all under the age of eight. I love them dearly. I got Dude. two. Yep. Yep. And man, it's there's nothing. I tell people all the time, there's nothing like being a daddy, but it, it's a lot of work, man. And it brings out every emotion possible yes. to, to 10, <laughs> yes. you know, turned up. And um, I just thank you so much for sharing that here on this show. Thank I you for following it. the conviction, you know, that that was placed on you to take your basketball show and share life experience on there, too, because it was genuine. That's why I believe it was so well received, Zach, is that your heart was in it. It was, you know, it wasn't just something that you were like looking to stir something up. You know, you're listening to no. what was put on your heart, man. And I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. No problem. All right. So we'll continue the discussion on the podcast. But as for the radio show, we're going to have to wrap it up. We And just to tune you in on, we're just going to talk about three more players, uh, Devin Booker, Chris Middleton. And yes, of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo. We're going to discuss him. Um, that's going to be a fun discussion because Zach and I, we share so many of the same mindset, but you know, because we sometimes look at the game differently, I can't wait to see what makes Giannis great in your eyes compared to me. Um, that's going to be a fun discussion and you can just go over to anywhere podcasts are available, go look up breaking the game and the, the continuation of this radio show will be on there. And please, 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 if you haven't already do yourself a favor Go look up the Off the Glass podcast and subscribe to that. If you're one of those people that are not really into podcasts and you're like, well, I don't know, this seems how much time is it going to take? Zach does you a great favor. There's It's a concentrated episode. I think the last episode I listened to was under 20 minutes. And there's yeah, so much I knowledge rarely, in there. I rarely go over 25 minutes unless I have a guest. I rarely go over 25 minutes. And there's so much concentrated knowledge in there. I learn so much every time I listen to that. But Zach, before we close out, man, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Thank, thank you. you so much for your show. Just let the fine folks know where they can follow you. Instagram is Zach the Off the Glass Podcast. Twitter is Zach at the Off the Glass. I'm wearing the Off the Glass Podcast snapback. So check out my store, uh, totgpstore.com. Mm. Got 
bunch of designs dealing with podcasting, basketball, ins- ins- inspirational messages. Excuse me, like I'm wearing my point guard T-shirt today. So go over there, support the, the podcast. Uh, you'll enjoy some of the merchandise we have over there. And thank you, Stephen, for lending me the opportunity to come on your platform, Breaking the Game. And we every time we get together, man, and this is, I think, the only second time you've been on the show, but yeah. we talk so much, it feels like we're... Oh, we're, we talk to each other all the time, man. And mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. was too. This was not soon enough to get you back on the show. We'll have to get you back on quicker than this next time. Of course, brother. of course, of course. All right. So for everyone listening on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, thank you so much for your time. We'll be back for another episode of Breaking the Game on now Off the Ball Mondays over at the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Don't go anywhere. Our, my buddy Mo Murphy is going to be on next on the Up in Flame show. And then don't go anywhere after that because our president of the Off the Ball Network, Chris LeBron, his Off the Ball podcast will be up after that. So stay tuned for the rest of Off the Ball Mondays. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We'll catch up with you all next time. Much love, everybody. All right. Now we'll continue on with the podcast. And Zach, I know yep. you've been so gracious with your time. We can we can comb over these as you see fit. I want to okay. go ahead and address the 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 biggest name that we didn't get to on the podcast. And if you're coming over from the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, thank you so much for your time. Just like, share, subscribe, follow, rate, and review all those fun things. Uh, Zach, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Let me mm-hmm. just list this off to you real quick. Two time MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. He's five time All NBA. Mm-hmm. Five-time NBA All-Star. He's the most improved player. And now he is the 2021 NBA champion and the finals MVP. Talk to me about the ascent of Giannis. And one thing that you and I have shared is that he's ahead of schedule, man. I love <laughs> yeah. that. We've same wavelength again, man. So talk to me about Giannis. Uh, I was talking in Twitter spaces. Like, I don't understand why people are so critical of him. Um, and don't embrace the story. It's an incredible story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Drafted, second division Germany. The tape looks like something out of the 80s. (laughs) I'm like, what what are we watching here? Don't know what position he is. He comes over, he puts on the weight, he continues to grow. Uh, Shout out to Jason Kidd, who kind of got it going, putting the ball in his hands, continue to lock himself in the gym and just work hard. I mean, work ethic is just incredible. And I said it at the year four. I, I wrote a blog piece, so if people don't don't believe me. You can check the receipts. Head to my website. I haven't written it in a while, but it's still up there. The Off the Glass Podcast website, where I compared him to like Dr. J, LeBron, because you know he's a forward. Michael, Kareem, Magic, just other greats. Larry Bird, mm-hmm. and he was right on schedule. The only people that were kind of absurd, I think Kareem had our no Kareem had already won two MVPs. I think by year four in the championship. <laughs> Third year in the um, league, he's a champion. It, yeah, it was crazy. And I think Magic and Bird, but he was already ahead of schedule then. And his game has gotten so much polished, more polished now. Like back then, he was still struggling to make reads. His passing wasn't the best. Um, The shooting, we already know about. But I just think his improvement every year and doing it his way. And I think he also, too, benefits from an era that I just don't think is as tough as past eras, because I just don't think they want you to be like that in society overall. I don't think we found a, we frown upon really aggressive people nowadays. It's just a different time. I'm not saying it's, it's better. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm just saying it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And his overall aggression 
makes up for whatever you might say he lacks skill wise. And I think the reason why people don't like him because aesthetically it can be tough to watch, especially when he's shooting air ball threes or missing the free throws badly. But as far as a physical specimen, dominance, attitude, confidence, work ethic, it's not too many players better than Giannis. And now going into next season, I mean, he's top. I had him top three or four. I think I had him third best player in my chess piece comparison. I think I had him as a queen. Mm. So he's definitely a king. Probably him and Kevin Durant going into next season as the two best players in the league, if not him being the best because he has the championship. But he's only 26, Steven. That's nuts, dude. So he can retire tomorrow in what? Top 15 career already? Top 20 at least? Yeah. I mean, if you're talking accolades, you're talking about the ascent yeah. the timeline. I mean, there's other people that have more of what he has already, but my goodness, I mean, five-time All-NBA, that, that's one that I don't think gets concentrated on enough, and rightfully so. It's not it's not as important, so, so to speak, for a legacy. There are some players that are in the Hall of Fame solely because of their All-NBA appearances, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Giannis, that's just kind of like an afterthought for him. Yeah, it is, and... I was looking at even this playoff run. This was one of the best playoff runs because even in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. when he was taking all the criticism, they didn't play well in game one and two, but he came out after that. I mean, yet what do you have, 42 in game seven? Yeah. Like him battling Durant. And it was dope to watch because Durant's doing it his way with a, a highly skilled offensive game. Giannis is doing it with more of a forced game, skilled around the basket with his touch and his finish. Like people don't understand that is skill, being able yeah. to Euro step around people have a soft touch around the rim like that is skill um i think now with the 50 point game i think he had four 40 point games in the playoffs and like over three in the finals yeah like it's just it's a shame because again i this type of story like how can you not you know rally around it but it was like a guy said in twitter spaces that it's because he his accent he's not from here you know, but he's a funny guy when you hear his humor. It's just that his he has a different accent. Like if he was in the United from the United States, he would be the most marketable player in the NBA. He really would. I mean, yeah. he works hard. Like I said, he has a sense of humor. He's a family man. He's simple. He has all the tools. He's not there. a bad so, looking cat either. No, he's know? not a bad looking guy. Has the, the the weight room definition, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think again, I'm just glad he was able. I was. That's why I didn't pick anybody in this finals because I wanted to see Chris Paul get a ring, but I also wanted mm-hmm. to see Giannis get a ring so he could kind of silence the critics overall. Because even last year, they were trying to make cases the last two years on why he shouldn't be MVP. Like they mm-hmm. was coming up with these insane narratives. Even the year, uh, I thought he should have been defensive player of the year, actually the year before he won he had it. a better defensive season he, that year. Yeah, it was just every time it was always trying to the focus but that's why we have our platform steve steven so we can bring the the tri- the proper attention all the way around because Giannis is incredible man i think we're really watching a one of one a generational talent i really believe that yeah and i'm right there with you so real quick before we move on from Giannis, with with milwaukee winning a championship and Giannis being locked up long term Chris Middleton being locked up long term, all the assets that they gave up for Drew Holiday, you don't do that unless you're looking to make that marriage work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that impact Milwaukee's allure in free agency? I mean, it makes it 
the allure should be there. But again, the interesting part is going to be who can they attract with the money that they're going to have left over. And then, okay, let's say I haven't heard ownership say they wouldn't be. So I'm not going to say they're not going to. But would you be willing to really go into that luxury tax if possible? Because I don't think they can afford Bobby Portis. He played himself into a great contract. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to fill that position. Um, DiVincenzo is coming off a, a foot injury. And you kind of want to shear up the rest of your bench. I think PJ Tucker is about to be 37. Yep. So how many, you know, how much is left in, in the tank for him? Because he played overseas, well-traveled. So I think it's going to be an attractive, attractive spot. But now they're going to reach the challenge of what teams have to do to stay at that level and stay at that championship level is to be able to fill out the back end or the middle end of that bench. And I think that's going to be the only challenge going forward, just like Brooklyn's going to have the same challenge because you have yep. Harden, Durant, Kyrie. So now we got to fill out the back end of the bench. Now I think, though, Giannis has made a case where now, maybe not in the past, maybe guys will be willing to take buyouts and come play with him. So I think winning championships always helps. Mm -hmm. Winning, They said winning cures everything. And I think overall, this might be a situation where a guy might have wanted to go to Miami but now he might say, hey, I'll do the cold in, in Milwaukee because we got Giannis. They win a championship. They're doing this. I want to go be part of that. And I think, if anything, Giannis did a lot for his brand and, the, and a lot for the culture of basketball, of being this guy that was able to do it his way and be mm -hmm. successful. So I think it, it benefits them in the end. But I'm like you. I'm curious to see once the draft is done and all this, how they're going to fill out the rest of this roster because they're not going to have the same cap space as some of the other teams. Yeah, 100%. And they have the very first pick in the second round, which if you're a team like Milwaukee, you got to keep building and building that the first pick in the second round is always uh, one of the more sought after picks in yes. the draft because you have more, you know, you have ready to win now players that because mm -hmm. of their age, they typically fall back in the draft. So I'm curious to see which route they go there and who's available at, at 31. So also moving off of this here, Zach. Let's mm -hmm. stick with this teammate, Chris Middleton. You know, the whole Batman, I, I don't like the Batman and Robin thing. I, I really don't. But, you know, just for the sake of, you know, the listeners who who do focus in on, you know, who's the best player, you know, your first or second best, or now the popular thing, you can't even have a second best player. You have a 1A and a 1B, <laughs> and one B, right? Right, right. So, yeah. I mean, that's in L.A. You can't, you can't call Anthony Davis the second best player and expect him to come play with you in L.A., right? So you'll get to be 1B now. So um, Milwaukee's 1B, Chris Middleton. Um one of the most clutch players in the finals, you know, if not the entire playoff series. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think his performance overall? How does this how does this affect his reputation among the casual fan or the, maybe some of the, the the less knowledgeable or unlearned fans? And then also in in media, when we rank him against other you know prominent wings who have been in the NBA for a while, like a Paul George or someone like that. I think, again, winning helps everything. I pulled up his playoff stats. He averaged 23 and 7, 7 and a half, and 5 assists. So 23, 7, and 5. Mm -hmm. He shot 34% from 3, which isn't bad because it's the playoffs. He went all the way to the finals, and he shot close to 44% from, from 3. And you're right, it's high volume because he's attempting 19 shots a game. So, again, I... I I try to get people to understand that there's levels to this. So you can't compare him the same way as a number two, like maybe a Paul George, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think Paul George is slightly better because his ceiling is a little bit higher, mm -hmm. but it's not by much. 
And the example I try to use again, there's 30 teams. There's 60 max spots. So two teams get, you know, each team gets two max guys. Mm-hmm. There's not 60 elite basketball players walking the planet. It just, it just isn't. There, so at some point, you're going to have to look at it through the proper lens and say, is he overpaid for what we view that slot to be? Uh, possibly, possibly. But I think he isn't. I think he's really good. Again, he had six of his 17 in the fourth quarter. Four of them were two of the biggest buckets of the game. Mm-hmm. And he was able to do that repeatedly. And he gave them a dimension that Giannis doesn't have, which is create his own jump shot, which yep. is as the playoffs and we get to the finals get tougher and tougher. You need those guys that can create their own jump shot and make and take tough ones because the defense gets tougher. So I think we should look at more of of team and how him and Giannis complement each other, you know, just like how Harden complements Durant or how Anthony Davis complements LeBron or how Jokic and Jamal Murray complement each other, right? Like we should look at it from that lens. And I just think the playoffs might be a little bit more conducive for at times for Middleton to be the guy because of his yeah. style of game and Giannis to kind of pick his spots and be great in Giannis's way. Right. But maybe Giannis for a whole regular season, as far as carrying a franchise to the best record and to the best seed. Yeah. That gives him that superstar level that I don't think Middleton can carry a franchise if he was put in that role. Mm-hmm. So I think it helps his, helps his legacy, helps him win and cures everything. And I think he's one of the more, you know, skilled guys in the league and has been. If you go back and watch his highlights, he has a nice handle for his size, which he's improved. He was not a great ball handler like that going back and looking at it because I did at Texas A&M. He wasn't. He was a guy that can shoot it. He wasn't quite sure what he would be in the NBA. But now he's a guy who is one of the best scorers in the league. So that's how I look at it from that type of perspective and lens and understanding that you're going to have some max guys that maybe in the casual fans eyes, not up to earning that type of money, but you have to realize there's not 60 elite guys walking the planet, playing basketball at an all time great level. It just isn't. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that it's funny how you can look at where the bucks are now and then say, take a young team like the new Orleans Pelicans, you know, where you got two physical freaks of nature and a Giannis and a Zion. And there's some sort of universe where you can coach up a Zion to, to kind of mirror the game of Giannis. I'm not saying step for step, but you know, maybe style of play, um, put Giannis in or excuse me, Zion in similar positions as a Giannis. And one thing that a Brandon Ingram, he's always been compared to a Kevin Durant because he's long lengthy and can shoot. I think a, a better path for him and probably the more attainable one is a Chris Middleton and as we saw here in these finals, it's not a bad, not a bad player to be, oh, right? No, that's that's a great comparison because I don't like doing comparisons unless it naturally hits me. Um, I do them more to kind of relate to to everybody else. But Brandon Ingram, I never thought was KD. I didn't know who he was, but I think what you're saying makes spot on sense because I think going forward for that relationship to work in New Orleans, I think Ingram is going to have to concede to be that guy because. Because Zion's is so dynamic and the stats mm-hmm. play out from his true shooting percentage to his effective field goal percentage. He's so dominant. He's so dominant. But if if Ingram can embrace that kind of Middleton role for them and they could get a couple more pieces, 
they might have something special down there in New Orleans because Zion's definitely a generational talent as well. Absolutely. All right. So we got one more player that, that I want to discuss with you, Zach, and he's the youngest player, not by much, but he is the youngest. Um, and he played for the unfortunate team, as I'll refer to the Phoenix Suns, right? Devin Booker. You know, we spoke on him. He had some of the best moments of the entire playoffs, let alone the finals. Um, and one thing that I didn't ask you, we don't have to get into the specifics, but there is a potential that Chris Paul will opt out of this last year of his contract and move forward to secure a long-term deal to probably further on his, you know, post-basketball life, right? So um, if that's the case, do you look at a Devin Booker and see things in him to where you can say, you know what, if Chris Paul leaves, whether it be at the, you know, in this free agency period or at the end of his contract, that we can look to Devin Booker to to buoy our team and obviously DeAndre Ayton as he gets older into further playoff success? I don't think Booker... I don't like saying it speaking in absolutes with young players. Sure. I wouldn't want somebody to speak in absolute with me if I'm young, but I, I, my gut is telling me he'll get you to the playoffs. I think from here on out, I don't know if he can get you to the finals though. I, I don't know. The next step when his maturation again, will have to be the, the playmaking ability. And sometimes the shot selection at times is not always the best, but Jason Tatum made a leap this year that I didn't know he could make. Mm -hmm. Even though Jason Tatum physically is a bigger guy. so But I didn't think Tatum could make the leap that he made as far as reading the defenses. I just didn't see that for him. So I'm not going to take it off the table with Booker. But my gut, like Tatum, those are guys that can lead your franchise deep to the playoffs. I don't know if they can be that guy by themselves without somebody else. And I don't know if Aiden is that guy to be that running mate to say, now we're going to make the finals every year. Like, I don't know if if Boston, with him and Jalen Brown, for example, if that's enough to say these two are going to carry us to the finals now, regardless if Brooklyn wasn't Brooklyn. I'm just saying overall, all things equal. I just don't think as great as they are, I just think there's levels to this. And my gut and my eye test, what I see, I don't think Booker is that guy. I, I could be wrong. I am hope I'm wrong. I always want to be proved wrong. I'm always rooting sure. for greatness. But I don't think Booker is that guy. That's just my yeah. opinion. And we see this next to his running mate that you just said, right? Chris Paul, you know, one of the best generational point guards ever in the history of the NBA. You said there's level of this, you know, it's hard to win a ring. Chris Paul on this team hasn't won one and they got the closest that he's ever been playing alongside Booker. I will say, um, Zach, that I agree with a lot of what you said. Booker, though, to his credit, he has improved this year in one area. And I would just want to get your take on this real quick. I saw in the finals, you know, in, in previous games, his defense has really stepped up. I mean, a guy that, you know, gets talked about a lot for his lack of defensive intensity throughout the regular season, I felt like he picked it up in the playoffs. No, he definitely did. I, I try to tell people you got to approach defense in the NBA with a, a grain of salt because they're not going to play hard every game. It's just too many games on a nightly basis in the sure. regular season. We have to judge it on the playoffs and what they're playing for. And then I think he bought in. And realized again that the culture that they set up in Phoenix, culture matters, starting with mm -hmm. James Jones down to Monty Williams down to bringing in Chris Paul. And once you have guys that are being held accountable, you'll be surprised what type of effort you can get from them. So, yeah, he definitely bought in defensively and stepped his game up. But I think, again, Chris Paul would need him to make the finals again. Yeah. And I think he would need Chris Paul to make the finals again. And I don't think, 
I'll be surprised. I don't think Chris Paul just automatically ups and joins like the Lakers, like that Magic Johnson said the other night, another last night we've been <laughs> leaking. I don't think because Chris Paul created his own financial lane. Yeah. Whether people believe it or not, I think he's too old. It's not going to surprise me if somebody offers him 80 million or 90 million over three years. I'm just not going to be surprised by that because his ability to show his value, because I really believe, and I said this, that the Suns saw what they had in Ricky Rubio mm -hmm. and said, if we can just upgrade this position, because I was being half, you know, jokingly being funny. Ricky Rubio was kind of the real MVP of the Suns team because they were really good last year. And I yeah. think what they saw was, wow, we can upgrade him to like a Chris Paul. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if they thought that, but that's just my observation. So uh, I think Chris Paul, I'd be surprised, man, because if somebody throws that kind of money on, I don't know how you say, no, I'm not going to take the 90 million or 80 plus. I'm going to take the vet minimum and go play with LeBron and get this ring. And, and again, it's just because him and LeBron are friends doesn't mean he won't necessarily go play with LeBron. I don't think people understand that. Certain mm -hmm. men, again, they're their own man and they do things differently. I'm not saying LeBron's way is better than Kawhi's or Kevin Durant's way. No, no, everybody does things how they do it. And Giannis for him was like, no, I want to do it by myself. Yep. Chris Paul might be that guy. Like, no. Not only am I not going to pass up this big bag, but I don't necessarily want to go team up with LeBron either, you know, and yeah. I think it's OK. So for him, I think he's content. He doesn't strike me as a guy that's insecure. I think he knows what his legacy is. I think he's content with his legacy. And it wouldn't be surprising to me that he said, hey, I'm going to take this other big deal and let's let the chips fall where they may. Because if that's the case, he could have pushed for a buyout in Oklahoma City. Yep. And would have got it. Because he's one of the top players in the league. So, no, I don't think he's one of those guys that's moved by this new championship or bust era that we're in. Yeah, and I agree with that. Maybe the reason that he and LeBron have remained such good friends over the years is that they haven't played together. You know, we've seen True. we've seen friendship yeah. sour over being on the same team before. So, um, Zach, man, I just, again, I thank you for the radio show. I thank you here for the podcast, man. Just thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor and a pleasure. We talked. We talk a lot offline, yes, but um, man, it's it's so nice to be able to kind of interface with you the best way that we that we can here. You know, being so far away from one another. Mm -hmm. But um, just everyone listening, please go follow Zach. You know, the off the ball podcast, or excuse me, the off the glass podcast <laughs> um, on Instagram, Twitter, all those, and be sure to go look him up anywhere podcasts are available for the off the off the glass podcast i'm sorry just off the ball and off the glass they're so close i know in nature. i know i know it happens <laughs> it happens it's all good it's all good no just follow me instagram is zach the off the glass podcast follow me on twitter zach at the off the glass again support the the totgp brand the off the glass podcast clothing brand lots of t-shirts lots of designs dealing with podcasting basketball and inspirational messages so make sure to go check it out the links are in my bio follow me there i follow back like steve tells you i pretty much follow everybody i don't block you unless you are disrespectful even if we don't agree i'll still engage with you um so follow me i follow back let's talk hoops let's talk life thanks for having me steven on breaking the game appreciate it brother yeah yeah no problem brother all right so for everyone listening to the podcast thank you so much for your time we'll catch up with you guys next time much love everybody peace